You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. And today we have a guest, and I'm so excited because me and this guest, this guest and I were brought together by the power of the internet. I love it so much. And she is here today to tell us all about a very special person in history. So, without further ado, welcome, Destiny! Hi! Thank you! Thanks for having me on. So excited to have you on. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast? Yeah, well, so, as you said, my name is Destiny. I use she, they pronouns. Um, I have a podcast called Closeted History, LGBTQ plus stories of the past. Um, where we out the queer history that you never oh. knew. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, just a podcast, you know, retelling some of the incredible um, and unique perspectives and stories of those have who have come before us, um, our, our queer predecessors. <laughs> yeah, I am an educator. Uh, I have been an educator for eight years. Um, from the great old state of North Carolina, Woo-hoo. 704, you know. North um, Yes. <laughs> so that definitely presented some challenges with being a queer, non-binary person. Um, yeah. But I definitely think that through looking at some of the history and the literature and just kind of like really immersing myself in the world of, of queerness, so to mm-hmm. speak, you know, <laughs> looking at these stories that – it's been really, really affirming. And I actually, we're talking about Frida Kahlo before when I made this episode and like when I was learning about her, mm-hmm. I hadn't come out as non-binary yet. Mm. And, you know, just like, and we can talk more about it later, of course, but, you know, yeah. like her redefinition of femininity and really like what it could be, what it is, and, you know, just the way that she like, very authentically presented herself it really inspired me to do the same and I was able to you know come out as non-binary yay that is why learning history and telling history is so important because if you don't have an idea that that's a possibility in the world how could you know that you can also be that way oh Destiny, I'm so excited. So yeah, as um, Destiny said, they are going to tell us all about Frida Kahlo today. And I, like always, have no idea about this topic. So we're on the journey together, friend. And I am so excited. So if Destiny is ready, let's dive right into the episode. All right. So of course, you can't talk about Frida without talking about her politics, her paintings, and her wonderful personality. We'll kind of start like in the the beginning. When I made this episode, um, I July is Disability Pride Month. And so I really wanted to uh, take a look at kind of the intersections between those with disabilities and disabled people that have been hidden throughout history, mm-hmm. but how that also intersects with 
LGBTQ plus people. Yeah. Like, for example, that, you know, Frida Kahlo was and, you know, we know her to be as bisexual, mm-hmm. um, but she she did also have a disability. When she was younger, she got polio and mm-hmm. had some issues with her leg and then when she was 18 she was um in an accident and we'll talk more about that in a bit but I just wanted to kind of give like a frame of reference Mm. that July is disability pride month and looking at the way that those two communities do kind of intersect with each other it's really important to take that kind of approach so that you know we can look at the multiple facets of people's identities and how um that ultimately factors into who they are and how they were able to live and, you know, give us some perspective there. Yeah, the importance of intersectionality. Yes, but, and some of these numbers were really hard to believe that, like, and this figure is a little bit older, but it says that an an estimated three to five million LGBTQ plus people have disabilities. Wow. Yeah, well, and, you know, you mentioned in the beginning of this, like, the ADHD brain. Yeah. That... (laughs) You know, and like it's becoming more common that people are like, oh, hey, I think I'm neurodivergent. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Especially, you know, I think like with the pandemic, everybody kind of like being on TikTok together, like, oh, wait, that happens to me too? (laughs) Like, oh, I thought that was just me doing that weird thing. Right. I thought this was my personality. (laughs) Turns out, no, no, it's a comorbidity. Yep, because um, I definitely had crab cakes for every single meal for like you know two weeks, <laughs> right? <laughs> and turns out that's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, a lot of people have those intersections. So it, I'm really appreciate that. That's also really important to you in the way that you analyze history yes. as well. So we'll talk about Frida. Let's uh, talk about her early life. So she was born July 6th, 1907, which she actually changed her birth date. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, she actually changed her birth date because she was like, she saw herself as um, a daughter of the Mexican Revolution. Oh, so, which took place from 1910 to 1920. Mm-hmm. And so she identified with that so much that she legally changed her birth date from 1907 to 1910. What? So that she would be like more associated with the movement. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. Amazing. So <laughs> she, her politics were very important to her, uh, as we'll learn a little bit later. But so she was born July 6, 1907. 1910 according to her in Coyacan Mexico City Mexico and I'm actually really excited because my partner and I in like a month or so are going to her house (gasps) Um, what it's been yeah yeah it's been turned into like a museum and has some of her like old letters and her paintings and so I am just floored that I even get to be in like the room with her stuff, you know? That's so cool. So yeah, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to that. She was the third child um, born to parents Matilde Calderon y Gonzalez and Guillermo Calo. Um, Her father was German and then he moved to Mexico and he got together with her mom and 
Her family's home, which is referred to as La Casa Azul, Mm -hmm. has now been turned into a museum with, like, her artwork, her personal belongings, some of the letters that she wrote. And she was really close with her father. He was a photographer. And so I think that that's what, like, helped kind of shape her her eye Mm -hmm. for art Mm -hmm. um, was, like, she was very comfortable posing, you know, for the camera and she helped him because he also was disabled Mm. he was epileptic and so you know they kind of got to share that special bond with each other because um as i mentioned before that like she got polio when she was six yeah and it impacted the way that like her right leg ultimately grew as you know she Mm -hmm. grew into an adult but so she was really close with her father um, and would help him frequently. She didn't have a really close relationship with her mother. In the research that I've done, it was kind of hard to tell what their relationship was, as, you know, especially looking that far back, because her mother was really religious and really, she described her as tense, cruel, and fanatically religious. Got it. Um, Not the greatest <laughs> relationship. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I think just like everyone else, family dynamics can be complicated to navigate. And I think that that is uh, just another way that Frida connects to the people and the people connect to Frida, Mm -hmm. uh, which just, mm, she's my hero. (laughs) (laughs) But so uh, she, um, even though she did get polio when she was six, um, she still like played soccer, she did swimming, she even did wrestling because her father was encouraging her to kind of pursue those things so that she could recover and still like, you know, have as much mobility as possible. Yeah. Um and so her father was really really encouraging when it came to that. Awesome. But when she was a young adult, she went to it's called UNAM Mm -hmm. in Mexico City. It's like a very prestigious university. And she went there in 1922. And at the time, there were only 35 females enrolled in the whole school. What? Yeah. And so at this point, she's pursuing medical school. She wants to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. She begins getting very involved in politics because she joins like a political debate group there. And that's where she meets her first sweetheart. His name is Alejandro <laughs> Gomez Arrayas. And so they were together for a few years. But on September 17th, 1925, at the age of 18, they had been shopping downtown on a gray afternoon. And they got onto the bus, but it collided with a streetcar. Oh, no. Yeah. And so Alejandro was very lucky and walked away with minimal injuries however and you know just as like a a content warning mm-hmm. or a trigger warning for those who are listening Kahlo she she was hurt she was really oh, really gosh. hurt um she suffered multiple injuries her spinal column was broken in three mm. places her collarbone was broken her two ribs and her right leg had 11 fractures. And now remember that, like, her right leg is also the one that's already been injured due Ugh. to polio. So, you know, and it 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 gets worse. Oh, um, no. 
Yeah, she her left shoulder was out of joint and her pelvis was broken in three places <gasps> because her pelvis. Um, yeah, and oh. this is like according to medical records, she suffered a penetrating abdominal wound caused by an iron handrail and it entered her left hip mm. and exited through her vagina and tearing the left lip. Oh. Yeah, so dumb. you know, it like Someone who already was just having, like, a, a hard time, but, like, persevering through it all. You mm-hmm. know, she beat polio and was able to still exercise and, like, oh. you know, engage in the things that she loved. And she's pursuing this medical degree. And then, you know, just catastrophe happens. And she's very, very badly hurt. Um, and I... In, you know, another way that I feel like I kind of connect with her, Mm -hmm. of course, (laughs) this horrific accident, you know, I haven't experienced anything like that. Yeah. She is just, but, um, (laughs) but I uh, was diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was 16. Oh, gosh. And, and so, you know, like when she was writing to Alex, her little sweetheart, Mm -hmm. you know, from before, Mm. She wrote to him and she said, you know, what's going to happen in 30 years? How am I going to, how, how's it going to be when I'm 30? Mm -hmm. And I just turned 30 this year. Oh, welcome, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, things pop that didn't used to. And, um. Yes, 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 they do. (laughs) And especially with the fibromyalgia that, you know, like just managing it does, Uh, I mean, you know, you have your good days and your bad days, but like, you know, in this worry that Frida is sharing with, you know, her, her partner, Mm -hmm. Alex, that like, I feel like, you know, I've been there, like, how am I going to feel when I'm 30? And of course, you know, again, I'm not like comparing my injuries or my illness, but you know, that like it, it, it felt really cool, especially doing the research for this episode, because it was like, you know, I know that she's kind of felt how I have felt before, yeah. or, you know, that like, I can kind of resonate like, yeah. and, and chronic illness is just, you know, something that sucks. I think well, <laughs> it does. It does. And we we have so many like very fixated ideas about what illness mm. is and what it looks like and how it presents yeah. itself and so you know those who have chronic illness that like it it's hard to explain to to some who people don't and have the, it the spoonies the spoonies, the spoonies get it and yeah, so many the non-spoonies don't <laughs> you know and so like i was like ah oh. I feel right. that. How many spoons am I gonna have when I turn right. thirty? You know, <laughs> and and so that was just you know another way that like I got to connect with Frida yeah. through looking at this oh, lens. I love so that. you know, and and any other you know chronic ill folks or um, spoony folks mm. out there that like you know maybe that could be a connection that you feel with Frida yeah. as well. So. I'm happy to share that part. <laughs> but so when she she's, you know, recovering and <laughs> she's trying to do her best, uh, Alex's parents didn't really like Frida. And so they sent him to Europe without even 
allowing him the opportunity to say goodbye. What? Um, yeah. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> Frida says during her interviews, um, she did an interview with a person named Olga Campos mm-hmm. in 1949 and 1950. She said, I was already in a cast after the accident and Gomez Arias told me that an uncle was going to take him to Europe and that he would not leave me, but he lied to me. I received a letter from him from Veracruz saying he was leaving. It hurt me very much. Understatement of the sense. So she's... Oh my gosh. Right. Right. Like, you get into this catastrophic accident, you know, your boyfriend walks away scratch-free, you know, which I love that for him, but like... Then he just skips off to Europe, you know, because his parents weren't a big fan of Frida. And I guess, you know, like, oh, okay, well, she's. She's like posted up in bed anyways, so so I can just go. Oh, my. Right. Yeah. So she spent one month in the hospital being immobile in a body cast Mm. and many, many more months bedridden at home. And so while we have this woman who is pursuing her dreams and wants to become a doctor, is very involved in politics, really cares about people, um, there is a silver lining to this really tragic accident. I'm I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm building the anticipation. (laughs) It was here at home when she's bedridden Mm -hmm. that her father built her a custom easel (gasps) And a mirror for her to paint self-portraits while she was in bed. Oh, her dad. Yes. So um, she is using her skills that she learned with her father's photography. And it's like style for her own work. She did paint herself, her family, and some of her friends from school. Um, And again, you know, I think that that really was kind of shaped by her I'm with her father, Mm -hmm. um, like assisting with the photography and, you know, just kind of seeing like the composition of a piece of art, you know? And so, yeah, she was painting away, making all these self-portraits and she actually, out of her 143 paintings, 55 of them are self-portraits. Yeah, yeah. And she often incorporated like symbolic portrayals of physical and psychological wounds. I really enjoy her storytelling in her photos. And I do want to talk about some of her paintings. So she was once described as like a surrealist Mm -hmm. artist, and she was very adamant that she does not paint surrealist, Mm -hmm. that she says, I, I never painted dreams. I painted my own reality. Ooh. And that, like, you know, it, I think that it just really shows the, the power of the storytelling that she created within her art. That she talked about so many different themes. Like, you know, you could get her politics out of it and how she felt about imperialism and capitalism. And because she was a communist very openly. Nice. Like, I I think she's, like, she was buried in, like, a dress that has, like, a big, like, <laughs> sickle and hammer on it. And, like, she's, she even slept with Leon Trotsky. So, like, she was, 
very left. <laughs> very, very left. So you get all of this in her paintings, though. You know, she, like, has um, paintings of herself and how she saw herself, mm. how others saw her, you know, some of her family history, some of the things that she experienced. And, like, for example, because she was in the accident, she had a really hard time having mm. children and struggled with infertility yeah. and you know it's like 1920 it, like you know 19 it, it's very i don't think there's not the times where that's <laughs> yeah. been talked about you <laughs> I know i don't think there's any ivf um clinics or even talking about infertility other than like why do you suck at being a woman why can't you make a baby right now type of a thing right exactly and so like you know the 1930s woman talking about about reproductive issues and infertility like very openly and authentically I think that like that's just it's so beautiful Mm. the way that you know she portrayed herself authentically and I think that like that's something that really often gets missed about Mm -hmm. Frida is that you know when people see her or they hear her name they may think of oh yeah I know her paintings the ones with with the the eyebrows I think that's verbatim what I said at the beginning of the episode (laughs) (laughs) and you know so people have like this idea of Frida in their head and you know it the beautiful dresses Mm -hmm. that she wore flower crowns but you know she also was just so much more Mm -hmm. than that because and she she told people who she was through her art um she actually has this this painting it's called two nudes in a forest and it's like Yes, uh, it was a gift that Frida gave to actress Dolores Del Rio, uh, who resembles one of the oh, women I painted. Just found it. And nice. So, to <laughs> those of you who are not googling, <laughs> uh, it's two naked women who are sitting like in the background of a forest, and a light-skinned woman rest her head on the on another dark-skinned woman's lap and in the background uh they have like a scene is being watched by a monkey which like is actually a symbol of lust in mexican mythology and an image of sin in christian iconography so you know she like uses the symbolism like oh am I with this woman? We're both naked. Here's a monkey. Like, <laughs> you, you know, figure it out. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, oh, this actress that, mm, <laughs> who like, knows? we're uh-huh. not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Talk to the monkey. <laughs> right. History will right. call them roommates. <laughs> they were friends. best friends that slept in the same bed for 30 years. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I just, I, I just really appreciate her mm. her storytelling of who she was like through her art. And w- one piece in particular that really inspired me, it's um, called The Two Fridas. It's a painting with two Fridas holding hands with one that has her heart cut out. And she's like in a white, modestly dressed attire. And the other has more of like the traditional dresses that Frida was like notably yeah. seen in. But she has a beating heart that is intact. Ah. And 
And she painted this after her in Diego split. Diego Rivera was like, you know, when people think of Frida, they also think yeah. of her husband because he was a really famous muralist at the time. Um, and they had a really tumultuous mm-hmm. relationship. Um, that's like what their relationship was described as in almost everywhere that it's tumultuous. listed. <laughs> oh, but no. <laughs> tumultuous. And but it's interesting because like, you know, it, as I mentioned, yeah. I teach English. So like one time I was doing uh, an article with my students just on, you know, one of the sites that has articles for yeah. students. And it mentioned that she was a communist, not yeah. much else. And then it mentioned that she had a relationship with Diego, but like there was no mentioning of any of her woman loving woman relationships. Like, you know, of course they brought up Diego and them being together, but like they didn't bring up anybody else. She only had the one relationship in her no. whole life. Uh huh. Yeah. Gotcha. Right. And I think that's just like another example, kind of like what we were talking mm-hmm. about before, that like you can't fault people for yeah. what they don't know, and that like if it's not in the textbook, it's not in this article, unless. The, the only reason why my students know that she is bisexual is because yes. I knew that she's yes. bisexual. And so, you know, like, that's why this this retelling of history and archiving and really, you know, diving into it and learning as much as we can while, you know, we have this experience on yeah. this strange rock, that's, that's right. what it's all about. <laughs> but so back to Frida. Um, I'll – because we talked about her paintings, and um, as I noted before, that she really did not like being called yeah. a surrealist. <laughs> she actually, so at the age of 32, she traveled to France to display her art nice. for a show. And she was writing letters back to her American lover. His oh. name's Nicholas Murray. Nicholas. Who was also her photographer. Oh, but she expresses how her art was poorly handled and kind of like her true feelings about all the artists that were there. And like these are her actual words from mm-hmm. her letters. Mm-hmm. So they were written in English. And like I made sure just to make sure that like nothing got lost in translation, translation. from Spanish to. Yeah. But so <laughs> she says, and this is about the artist um, uh-huh. you have no idea the kind of bitches these people are. <laughs> They make me sick. They are so damn intellectual and rotten that I can't stand them anymore. It really is too much for my character. I'd rather sit and sell tortillas than have anything to do with those artistic bitches of Paris. Just twice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they sit for hours in their cafe in the cafes warming their precious behinds and talk endlessly about culture, art, revolution, and so on and so forth, thinking themselves the gods of the world, dreaming the most fantastic nonsense and poisoning the air with theories and theories that never Damn, come Frida, tell us how you really feel, girl. <laughs> so She's, like, writing back to her little lover boy, like, you know, listen, these, these bitches, bitches in Paris, Paris are bitches. <laughs> these bitches in Paris. <laughs> and uh, they have no idea what they're talking about. And so 
it's fairly obvious that she did not want to be associated with the yeah. surrealist artist. Um, and so now every time I see that quote that uh, like the never I never painted my dreams, I only painted my mm-hmm. own reality. Now every time I see that, I just think about her calling <laughs> like the people in france bitches (laughs) that are just too much for her character i'm like yes (laughs) tell them tell them i do yes (laughs) but so you never think of like women in in this time period calling people bitches like (laughs) oh yeah and she just was like letting them have it but it's it's funny because um, the like one piece of art that she took with her mm-hmm. when she was traveling to France with the, bitch. with the bitches, um, <laughs> it's now still the only museum in Europe to have a piece of work really? by Frida Kahlo. So, like in all of Europe, it's the what? only place. Yes, I would say where it is, but I will. I'm gonna Google not it. Do so. Very only Frida well. Kahlo in Europe. So. Frida Kahlo in Paris. Is it like? Yeah, that's the name okay. of the place. Frida Kahlo in Paris, maybe. Yeah, and then the art is like a self-portrait of Frida, and there's like a bunch of flowers, and there's like two mm-hmm. birds on either side of her. Yes, mm-hmm. and I'll put a link to this in the show notes and on instagram so that people can see it okay continue yes (laughs) yeah so you know she spent some time in france um her and diego were kind of like touring around the u.s for him to do some murals um but you know she was always trying to like show her work and have a separate Mm -hmm. identity from him which you know as we mentioned apparently is impossible (laughs) um (laughs) But so they split up for a little bit of time, but then they ended up getting remarried and their relationship became less turbulent, whatever that means, um, as Frida Kahlo's health Mm. was deteriorating. Um, Because she often had to wear like supportive Mm. back corsets to help her spine. She had an infectious skin condition, which like actually led to her leg eventually (gasps) being amputated. Yeah. And when her father died in 1941, you know, because she was so close to him, that, like, really exasperated both her depression and her health. Because, you know, your mental health goes right along with that physical health, um, you know, and she was was struggling. So she was often housebound, and she found the simple pleasure in surrounding herself with animals and tending to the garden Mm -hmm. at La Casa Azul. And she actually kept monkeys as pets uh, and said that they were the children that she could not bear. And she has, like, some paintings Mm -hmm. that have monkeys in them as well. So, you know, when you see some of those paintings as well, then you know that connection. Her little baby monkeys. (laughs) cute yes but so uh she exhibited one last Mm -hmm. time in mexico in 1953 because after they you know toured around the u.s she did some traveling they went back to mexico she's you know trying to live her life as well as she can her father dies um but so she exhibited one last time in 1953 at lola alvarez's bravo 
excuse me, Lola mm. Alvarez Bravo's gallery. It was her first and only solo show oh. in Mexico. Um, and she was actually brought to the event in an ambulance uh, with her four poster bed following on the back of a truck. Uh, and the bed was then placed in the center of the gallery so that oh. she could just lay there like during come on accessibility yes Um, oh my gosh yeah so she's like (laughs) i'm taking the ambulance to my own (laughs) solo you know (laughs) exhibit i i gotta be there and Mm -hmm. i just you know like resilience even in the last moments of her life like you know she i just i feel like anything that was thrown at her she was just freaking rolled with the punches Um, and like Sorry to throw in a, a weird military saying, but all I can hear is my dad in the back of my head saying, adapt and overcome, adapt and overcome. Like, <laughs> I mean, that she she was doing it, you know? Aww. She was doing it. But so she had her last gallery, and um, she died in 1954 mm-hmm. at La Casa Azul. And while the official cause of death was given as a pulmonary embolism, uh, questions have been risen about suicide, mm. whether deliberate or accidental. But unfortunately, there was never an oh. autopsy completed. Do you know why? Um, or just it so, wasn't a thing? I don't mm. know the answer to that question. But, um, I mean, you know, I, I just, I think that, like, there just wasn't one done. And then now, like, it's, it's you know. You can't autopsy you bones. So, right. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, she was, she was very young when she passed mm. away. She was 47 years Aww. old. Um, but her last painting called Viva La Vida, Watermelons, mm. um, is a bright, and if you should definitely include that in the, the show I notes will. as well, but it's a bright and vibrant celebration of love or life that features rich color contrast curves and angles and a final message from the artist herself she put the finishing touches on her watermelon themed painting just a few days before her death and she inscribed vita la vida on the central melon wedge at the bottom of the canvas which translates to long live life just eight days before she died um and in her diary the final entry stated i hope the exit is joyful and I hope to never return. Yep. So I think, you know, the legacy of Frida Kahlo definitely can't be understated. She was a revolutionist. She very, you know, very involved in politics. Um, She was Mm. a beautiful person, um, created amazing artwork, and one of my personal heroes so it has been so so very cool sharing this with you and with others it was i feel like should have known more about her earlier because you see all the time those posters and t-shirts i think urban outfitters has done at least a thousand different iterations of a frida kala like self-portrait t-shirt and there's all of these other companies that i don't know if any money is actually given to any Frida Kahlo organization or if they're just profiting off of her image. So knowing her story makes me want, like makes me both 
upset and filled with that same, um, like, I, I can't even make a good sentence right now. Just that same kind of like, oh, oh, snap. She was a real person. She was so badass. She had a lot of experiences that maybe aren't exactly the same as the ones that I'm facing right now, but I can empathize with that. And it makes me feel a little bit better that this woman in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s was just living her best life, even though she had all of this adversity and she made it work for her. And I absolutely love that. Thank you so much, Destiny. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just kind of going back to what you were saying about her image that like that I think has been a really important yeah. part of this story is telling like who she was outside of just the very commercialized yes. corporate image that we know of her. Like, you know, she's on t-shirts, she's on tote bags, on mugs, and, you know, I think Frida would be yes. rolling in She'd her grave. She'd be calling all of because, us bitches. You know, she, she was... <laughs> exactly. Well, because she was very anti-capitalist, and I think that, you know, people want that authenticity, they want people to be honest, but, like, when we take a look back at people we can see how she's been kind of, yeah. her story has been watered down. Like, you know, some stories don't mention her politics mm -hmm. of her being a communist. Some don't mention her bisexual relationships, like her relationships with women. And, you know, I, of course, because, mm -hmm. you know, I feel very connected to her and she's one of my personal heroes that like, I, I just kind of wanted yeah. to do her justice by allowing her story to be heard and for others to be able to connect through that story as well um and so you know i have really really enjoyed this thank you so much for for having oh my me gosh it's my show. absolute really pleasure it. i'm sure all of the uh listeners out there i i call them my delicious little donuts um which is super weird but i love it <laughs> I mean, delicious little donuts. I hope that you enjoyed the. I'm sure they did. The show. I absolutely loved it, and I'll put all of those um, pictures, those paintings that you talked about. I'll put them in the show notes. I'll post them on Instagram so that everybody um, can see them because they're absolutely gorgeous. And I think to get the full impact of the story, you you need to see all of the paintings that uh, Destiny mentioned in the episode and speaking of social media and finding people in different places destiny can you tell us where we can find you if we want some more you <laughs> yes yes so um i do have the podcast closeted history and so you can find us on instagram tiktok um linkedin <laughs> you know all the all the socials um <laughs> You, you can find us on all of the socials. Um, Instagram is probably the best way. Uh, we do also have a website if you're interested in checking it out. Um, and then we also have a YouTube channel because this season, so as I mentioned, I'm in my second season. Yeah. This season, we're doing more like video style. Nice. Um, so 
you know, because the ADHD brain, right? I need, I need a visual exactly to go with my story. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> so definitely check us out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, comment. You know, come hang out with us over on YouTube. Um, I read all of the comments, and you know, I I just really enjoy sharing this with others, and so I hope to share it with more. Awesome. Thank you. Well, uh, you have a lifelong fan in me and I'm sure other people out there will be subscribing and tuning into your podcast. Thank you so much, Destiny. I will put all of that information in the show notes and of course, shout you out on Instagram so people can find you there. And uh, I will see you, uh, delicious little donut, in the uh, outro. Okay, bye. Well, dear one, we have come to the end of our episode. Thank you once again to Destiny for sharing her knowledge about Frida Kahlo. That was incredibly interesting for me, and I hope that you thought it was interesting as well. If you did, consider sending this episode to your other history BFF or someone who you think needs to be converted into a history lover. If you're watching this on YouTube, please consider leaving a like and subscribing. And if you're listening to the audio version, why don't you go ahead and leave a rating and a five-star review? <laughs> it really helps appease the algorithm and the SEO god, so it would be very helpful. And I would love you forever. And don't forget to check out the new and improved Patreon. Become a patron where you can receive these episodes in advance, which is so much fun. You get to be a part of an exclusive club. <laughs> you can also support the podcast by buying some amazing merch. We actually have some History Hippo merch available in uh, the links in the show notes below. If you're on Instagram, you know, you, you know about the History Hippo. <laughs> and if you're not in the know about the History Hippo, that's totally okay. We have lots of other wonderful designs, all made by yours truly, so I, I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> but whatever you do, thank you for spending your time with us today. Thank you for supporting For the Love of History. And before we go, don't forget to do something for yourself to make you happy this week and every day. Really, you should be doing it every day. <laughs> and absolutely, don't forget to drink your water. And I will see you next week when we talk about the dead Pope trial. Ooh, I'm so excited. Okay, love you. Bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>